94.9 The Rock, the beating heart of rock and roll. It's the All Night Show, starring me, Ed the Sock. Five, count them, five hours of talk, tunes, and tomfoolery. And you can call me or text at 855-432-SOCK. That's 855-432-7625. Hello! And now, from Studio One at 94.9 The Rock State-of-the-Art Broadcast Center, it's me, Ed the Sock. 94.9 The Rock, all night show, Ed the Sock here. Who this? Oh, my God, Ed. It's Kyle, man, from Orno. Listen, I'm, where have you been? I, I just, like, turn on the radio, and there you are. Like, I've, I haven't heard you for years, man. 94.9 The Rock, all night show, Ed the Sock here. Who this? Hey, Ed, it's Bill. Bill, what are you high on tonight? Uh, pain pills. I messed up my foot. Well, you messed up your foot, so this is actually medication prescribed for you rather than self-prescribed. Yes, sir. All right, are you at work tonight? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, why would you not? You're, you're at work when you're high, you're at work when you're hungover. Why shouldn't you be there now while you're in some pain? That's right, I'm a dedicated employee. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, Bill, what's your greatest fear in life? What is it, sobriety? What is your greatest fear in life? Spiders. My sister tortured me with spiders as a kid. Her and her friends would hold me down and put spiders on my face and stuff. Well, no wonder you're constantly self-medicating with intoxicants. <laughs> yeah. It's obviously your sister's fault. Yeah, I blame her for sure. <laughs> At a time when most radio stations are maximizing their voice tracking, airing syndicated programming, or introducing listeners to AI-generated content in off-peak listening hours, Durham Radio's 94.9 The Rock, licensed to Oshawa, Ontario, has gone in the opposite direction launching a live overnight show hosted by cable TV and much music icon Ed the Sock. On this episode of the podcast, we welcome Stephen Kersner, the voice behind Ed, and program director Doug Elliott to the podcast to talk about taking radio back to its roots in the age of streaming. Hi, I'm Doug Elliott, uh, program director at 94.9 The Rock in, uh, in Toronto, and my career, in a nutshell, started in about 1986. Uh, I was operating at uh, CHWO in Oakville, where I grew up in my hometown while going to Fanshawe College in London. When I graduated in 88, I then started to do some work at Seajoy uh, in Guelph, uh, as well as uh, CHWO in Oakville. I'd commute back and forth, and then I got the all-night gig at uh, CJBK in London. I did that uh, for as long as I could afford to be go hungry and live on somebody's couch. Then I got a job at Westwood One in Toronto as a, a production guy. I uh, was there for a year, went to Halifax to uh, CFDR, and then over to Q104. From there, a very brief stint at the Hog in Toronto, basically just as an operator, and then off to the Lizard in Kelowna. I was there for about four years, then off to 94X from Prince George, where I did the morning show for a decade. Left there, launched a new radio station in uh, Windsor, Detroit, called uh, 95 One The Rock. I know, ironically, I'm at 94.9 The Rock now, but... Then went from there to Thunder Bay for two years to uh, work for Newcap at uh, The Giant and Magic. Then got another gig in Kingston as operations manager at K-Rock. 
and the country station kicks and we had a, another station there called uh, the lake it was a, actually an american station pretty cool it was there for five years uh got roger sized and ended up moving into oshawa uh 94.9 the rock the goal then was to sort of change the not change the format but just update the format into more of an, an active rock station i say active more mainstream rock really from from a gold-based format and i've uh, been here for the last uh, 12 years now jeez man time flies and that's like 35 years in a nutshell pretty much uh, i'm steven kersner and uh i don't have a career like doug's doug sounds like if you remember family circus cartoons trace jeffy's path through the yard um all across the country i've stayed in toronto i started in 1982 when I was uh, a pup, volunteering at a very small cable access station in Northwest Toronto. By the time I was uh, 18, I was hired to run the station. And if you ever saw Weird Al's uh, UHF, it was a lot like that, but even funnier, and created a whole bunch of shows when I was there. One of them was the show for Ed the Sock, which just kept going, kept building up. I did it at first just because it was fun for me and for the guys at the station and it uh, started to catch on people paid attention in those days uh, being viral meant people would vhs your show and send it around to other people and that's what happened eventually that station was uh, bought by rogers and i worked at uh, rogers in similar capacity rogers hated the show because it wasn't what they considered to be community television but they knew when something was successful so uh, they uh, pushed the show and it went uh, across the country on uh, cable 10 stations uh, at 11.30 on Fridays. Uh, it was the first of its kind to do that. Then uh, CBC approached me first about taking Ed to CBC. And I realized that, well, I could do that, but I'll be there for about six episodes before they cut it. And they'll probably cut the soul out of it too. So thankfully I was approached by Jay Switzer from uh, Chum Television, City TV, Much Music. And uh, he and Moses thought Ed would fit. The truth is, at the time, I had pitched it to them. And Moses had said, no, no it's not our format. But Chum was seeking the license for the comedy channel at the time. And in order to have a comedy channel, you had to show the commission that you had any experience producing comedy. So they needed a show that was already successful, already operating didn't have time for development and so on so that's why they came to me and they wanted ed on not just the late night show for city tv they wanted ed for much music too and uh, that was 1994 and i stayed there until 2008 2009 rogers and bell bought chum and split it up i had uh, left much music by that time but I did one year with Rogers. It became clear that they wanted to go in a completely different direction with the branding. And I wanted a rest because <laughs> I'd been producing that show with on cable and uh, broadcast for 16 years, the late night show. And I've uh, been doing the late night show weekly, but Ed stuff three times a week, plus annual specials or regular specials like Fromage and uh, needed a breath. Went to work with uh, a station that is independent, a TV station, which I will not mention because it was a horrible experience. And then decided to just take a bit of a break and went into doing corporate communications, podcasts and videos. 
for big banks and multinationals and so on, which was a really great tonic uh, for my brain. Got to use a completely different aspect of my creativity. I still do that. When I started, uh, my friend Rick Campanelli, uh, known as Rick the Temp from Much Music, got the co-host gig at a station in uh, Toronto for the morning show. And when his co-host was away, he invited me to have Ed come in. And I really got this feeling that I hadn't felt in a long time that radio had a life to it, a, an energy, an authenticity, an immediacy, and a sort of community family feel with the audience that uh, TV was no longer producing in Canada. So I got very, you know, really enjoyed it. And the audience responded well. There were some changes over at, uh, over at that station and Rick chose to leave the morning show. And so I, but I still wanted to do radio. I really had found a, a new love. And I contacted Doug and said, hey, just to let you know, this is what I'm doing now. Uh, Doug had interviewed me as Ed years ago. And I remembered it as a great experience. So I contacted Doug and Doug said, hey, you know what? We have something in the offing here that might be good for you. That I think that you'd fit fit with. And he uh, developed it, then came to me with what the idea was. And as soon as he, he mentioned it, him and Steve McCauley, the sales manager, I thought, this is perfect. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, the all-night show, which uh, Doug did an all-night show. Ed's first radio appearances were on the all-night show that John Oakley hosted way back on uh, CFRB 1010. And there's just a liveliness and a completely different spirit to overnight radio than there is during the day. And I was like, this is, I'd love to do this. And as it happened, I'm not a sleeper anyway at night. I'm, I'm nocturnal. So I said, let's give it a try. And we did. Like Doug said, there's an audience out there. And I believed him, but you know, you never know. It's like when uh, NBC ran David Letterman's show at 1230, everyone thought there's nobody there's nobody awake at that time. And they discovered, oh, yeah, there is. And they're actually very dedicated because they know no one else is programming to them. And it created a whole new profitable day part. And so everyone had abandoned the uh, late night stuff, the overnight stuff in Toronto. Doug said there's an audience and Steve said there's an audience. And I said, let's try it. And wow, is there an audience? These people are really grateful to have somebody live talking to them and talking with them with the, the phone calls. And uh, we've developed a community there, which we call, I call the nighttime neighborhood of regular callers. And uh, they're, they're all characters and they work in various industries. And we have regular callers and new callers. And uh, our first call was from L.A. Uh, as soon as we went on the air and we've got people across Canada, across North America, one guy in Australia. And it's just uh, it's just been a, an amazing experience. Before we talk a little bit more about the overnight show. I'm wondering, Doug, if you can talk a little bit about what Rock 94.9 is all about. There are a lot of things going on that have become almost anomalies at most stations, including a long-running morning show and a lot of unique talent that you've brought in. We've done like a lot of research, and I, I do a lot of reading consistently from um, all of the consultants in North America you know, I go to most of the um, conferences and really uh, I'm a student of what and where we need to go as an industry. You know, like what do we need to do to be able to, to stay viable 
especially when you're in competition with uh, with DSPs and essentially uh, a handmade playlist of your favorite songs. How is some radio geek going to make that better for somebody's personal ears? And uh, the one thing that DSPs don't have is human connection. They don't have that ability to make you laugh. I mean, maybe if you're playing a comedy bit, but they don't have that ability to connect one-on-one with human beings. And that's where radio is 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 probably at its strongest. Um, yeah, we can sit there and play a jukebox of music and on a tight rotation and and do all of those you know scientific things that we know work. But what works best is the people that work at the radio station. When you always talk to the listeners about why they listen to the radio station, they're always going to talk about the personalities that they listen to uh, that were the ones that made the biggest connections for them, right? And that's where we need to be. So we just decided, you know, to put in strong personalities through all the day parts give them the groundwork and the framework of what the radio station is and how we want people to feel when they listen to it. Uh, and then I, I just get the hell out of their way and let them let them play. I mean, they're all pros. They've been doing it forever. You know, we, we do course correction on some announcing skills, but for the most part, I don't have to teach them how to do the call letters. I, I don't have to teach any of that because these guys are all been doing it 30, 35 years. It's just... You know, getting the the philosophy and the feeling and the understanding of what the radio station is all about. For example, when when Steve started with us with the All Night Show, it took him about probably 10 minutes to sort of within his first break to encapsulate what the feeling of the radio station was, because it was really close to what Ed is about. And it wasn't a stretch for him. You know, we started off with our morning show. They've been doing it for, for 10 years now together, Craig and Lucky. They're two somewhat polar opposites, but that's what works so well because they're not the same. I mean, they have the same kind of lifestyle. They're both dads. They're both guys living in the suburban Toronto, and they have all of those issues that everybody has to deal with, like paying bills at the end of the month, inflation, gas prices, blah, 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 blah. And they do it, but they look at it in a really twisted, funny sense, right? So we've done that. We've hired rock and roll musicians to commit and to be with us. Uh, Christian Tana from My Mother Earth and I go back many, many years, and he he hosts our new music program. He is a has always been a champion of, of new music. Is also an unbelievable storyteller and uh, and a writer. So we have a show called Generation Next, and he hosts that every night. We play 104 different acts or bands over the course of a year uh, that are unsigned Canadian talent. And it's been a big focus of ours for the last decade. We've had Crownlands, uh, Cleopatra, The Glorious Sons. Who else has been in there? J.J. Wild. Oh, man, I have too many to remember, actually. Also, Cone McCaslin from Sum 41 approached me a while ago about doing uh, a radio show. He wanted to do something out of con- out of like regular convention and wanted to do like a punk-oriented show. Stuff that he listened to when he was growing up and stuff that, that kind of was shaped for uh, what the sums sort of grew into. Um, we talked a whole bunch about, you know, kind of where his direction he wanted to take the show and... You know, we, we sort of sat down with everybody and thought, you know what, this would be a really cool show because it's something that nobody's doing. And then he, he's got a Rolodex of, of people that he knows in the world of rock and roll. 
Um, and it's just so easy. Like you'll have Dexter on, uh, Dexter from Offspring or Noodles, Iggy Pop, Ray Davies of the Kinks was on one week. He just talks to whomever. They talk music. Um, most of the stuff has got kind of a, a punk appeal to it. Uh, or metal, some garage rock. It's a really cool listen. So we did that. We also just um, announced on Friday that we hired a longtime uh, Toronto radio vet, Jeff Woods. Jeff's going to be doing a, a new show. Well, I say new, but it's been around for a long time. It's just got a different name. It's going to be called Classic Rock Sundays with Jeff Woods. It'll run uh, Sundays from noon to six. So yeah, Jeff's kind of back in his in his old hometown, his old home spot. Um, playing classic rock. So I've got longtime radio guy, Lee Eckley. Uh, Lee's probably the longest tenured on-air guy in the city of Toronto. I'm going to guess. He's probably been on the air since 1978. I don't know if anybody else who's still working in radio has been on the air that long. We just try to stay very contemporary, very cutting edge, and very up to communicating with our audience. Um, we have two chefs that, that do lifestyle segments with us, uh, Christian Pritchard and the godfather of the grill, Teddy Reader. Barbecue, we talk very high-end Italian cooking all the time, and it's it's a part of what our lifestyle of our audience is about. And we're, we're here to reflect that and have great storytelling with them all and share life. What prompted you to think about bringing back a live overnight show? We, we started thinking about things that can we can do to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the noise and the clutter. Like in Toronto, there's probably seven rock stations that come into the marketplace and they're all relatively playing the same kind of music. Yeah, I'll give or take a little bit of nuanced stuff, but it's all pretty much the same. How do we make ourselves different? Where do we grow? And if everybody has given up on on radio, uh, as far as like the broadcasters have given up on radio after six o'clock at night, we think that there's a great market for it. We have a live evening show and then we have a live all night show. And that's where, as Steve can attest to, where everybody has abandoned that marketplace. So if we're there communicating, we've got one of the best communicators and broadcasters in the country working, doing the all night show. So it's, it's a pretty simple thing to do. Just go and talk to people. I mean, that's what radio is about anyway, right? It's all about engagement. So go do, have fun. And for the most part, if you're having fun, everybody else around you is going to be having fun at the same time. So Stephen, let's talk about the first few months of this exercise. Are you hearing from the audience that they felt like they were underserved? Oh yeah, quite clearly. It's more often in texts that I get that than in phone calls. I think because they're afraid of sounding maudlin or something, because um, that's also what they say in the texts. But uh, yeah, very strong response to thank you so much for treating us like human beings. Thank you for recognizing we're here. Thank you for giving us live programming at night, not retreads, not reruns, but programming for us and involving us. It, 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 the gratitude is not something I actually expected. It's very heartening to know that that's there. I and mean, we've got some people who are, you know, they've, they've got depression, they've got other concerns, um, illnesses, and uh, they're up at night. And this gives them a place to talk to, to take their mind off it. Um, we've got people working in, in uh, warehouses and in small, smaller concerns that are 
glad to have, you know, they're glad to, to call in and then they hear themselves and their colleagues hear them on the radio. Uh, but there was a sense that the audience at night was determined to be not worth the effort. And I think the audience felt that. And for them to see that The Rock feels differently and knows they're out there and knows that they're a valuable audience. And quite frankly, people who work overnight, that's not low paying jobs generally. Uh, to work overnight, usually you get paid pretty well. So, you know, these aren't, you know, grunts working overnight. There are a lot of people very, very skilled uh, at what they do. And they're just happy to have a community at night, which is which is what we've built and what I'm really, really happy about. One other quick thing, if I could just jump in here too, is those people that are all working all night long that Steve identified that are predominantly larger income earners uh, all have all day long to go and frequent our advertisers. And that's kind of the way that we're, we're building this. It's, you know, the first thought from the sales room in the sales department is uh, who's open during the all night show. We got to get those people on. And I'm of the mindset of, well, if you're at work, you can't really go shopping. You can't go buy. Well, I mean, you could, you can buy it online, a car or whatever. But if you're a captive audience um, and you're listening all night long and you're hearing advertisers talking to you when you finish work, you're probably going to want to go and frequent those establishments. Well, at least that's what we hope anyway. With good creative, you can win. I would add to that that, you know, my experience uh, through television was that there were a lot of Canadian advertisers who thought that once their commercial aired once, they would see people coming to the store the next day uh, in droves and saying, I saw you on TV, which is not how advertising works. Advertising works in that people see or, or hear your product. And then when they have need of that product, they will go to the store and think of you. They don't rush out. It's, it's not, you know what? I, uh, I need barbecue sauce. Let's go get barbecue sauce right now. But when they're at the grocery store and they're thinking I should pick up some barbecue sauce, it comes in their head. There's the, you know, hey, there's the brand that advertises the show that I enjoy. There's the, there are the people that support the programming that's aimed at me. And that's, you know, that's how it works. It's like Doug says, people are working uh, at night. How many people have time really when they're working to go browsing and buying things online? Uh, you're going to get people who, you know, they, they go home, they sleep like me, you know, up around noon and you got the rest of the day to go buy stuff. And I think that they appreciate and reward those brands that seem to be uh, supporting them. Being newer to the medium of radio, I'm really interested to hear your observations, Stephen, about the transition and, and what you've learned from that. You know, to be honest, radio has turned out to be, for me, a lot like much music without pictures. It's very much the same in that, you know, the strength of Ed has always been who Ed is. Ed's uh, audiences respond, they say, to Ed's authenticity and an honesty and willingness to say things, you know, people tend to say, well, we usually, when we did polls, it was, uh, Ed says what I'm thinking. So that is consistent. 
and stays that way on radio. It's not that different, to be honest with you. And that's what I like. It feels the greatest time I ever had in my career was when I was running that small cable station because we completely upended the industry as far as how we did things and why, how we did things and why we did things. And then when I went to Rogers, who was very rigid and they didn't like the way I did things, slowly they saw that the way I did things had greater effect and response and engagement than the way they'd been doing things. But, but I brought in characters, like real people, not created characters, real people who were characters and people connect with that, with the fact that these aren't actors. These are real folks who are eccentric, who are funny. And that's who we attract uh, on the show. We've got some people who are completely straight and that's funny in its own way because Ed can play with them that way. Other people are a little more, uh, a little more uh, animated and that works. Uh, for me, it just feels like doing much music again, but without the, without the cameraman. I think it goes without saying that Ed the Sock is a bit of a polarizing character. How has that played out so far? You know, people tend to believe Ed's polarizing and probably in Ed's social media where, you know, politics are discussed, that would be true because Ed takes a particular um, center-left position quite loudly. But on the radio show, very... It's very rare that politics comes into it, and Ed's not polarizing there. You hear Trump supporters saying that he is being persecuted because, like Trump, Biden and Pence also took government documents, but only Trump has been charged for it. This is bullcrap. Let me compare this to driving offenses. You got two drivers. One gets pulled over for doing 50 in a 40 zone. The other for driving drunk and hitting someone with their car. They both involve driving, so do they both get charged with the same crime? If you're a rational human being, the answer is no. If you're a MAGA type, the answer is yes. Republic people, the weird thing is people love Ed from all demographics. Like the number of people, and I won't even name the politicians, but high-level politicians who would meet me and say, I love Ed the Sock. I love your, I love your late night show. I love you on Much Music. And these are people you never would have thought. Um, I know that when we did uh, a study at uh, Chum of who Ed's audience was, they were stunned because it was not frat boys. It was people uh, 25 to 54 uh, in higher income and higher education brackets. Women love Ed. We get a lot of calls from, from women. Ed comes across as sort of this alpha male um, voice, but doesn't act like what they assume alpha males will. Ed is empathetic, friendly, welcoming, uh, treats these people, you know, one caller said, you treat us like guests, not like just fodder. And so Ed has become so motherhood, so can, so much Canadiana, that the notion of Ed being polarizing is kind of in the past uh, at this point, when Ed's doing just the, the, the humor stuff with a little bit of uh, social commentary uh, popped in. I expected to get blowback, and I've had zero which is really odd. One guy made a comment that uh, I thought was offside politically um, that didn't represent what I believed. And uh, he thought it did. And I corrected him and said, no, no, that's not where I stand. And here's why. And he then texted me and said, you know what? I'm sorry. I said that because I thought that's what you would believe. I don't believe that either. And became a regular caller. Ed is just something that people, a character people have known for years 
that they are comfortable with that hasn't disappointed them. I mean, there are some people on the extreme political right who believe that Ed was their guy, and that was never the case. Ed may speak in a loud fashion like some people on the extreme right, but what he says is not what they say. And they feel disappointed that, uh, hey, Ed's, you're supposed to be contrarian and anti-authority. It's like, no, Ed has always been anti-stupid. So whoever, anti-stupid and anti-bullshit. Uh, so whoever is spewing the most stupidity and bullshit is going to be Ed's target. Politics aside, whoever that is, is going to be the target. It happens that one sphere of politics has embraced a particular kind of approach that, that goes against what Ed sees as being authentic. And uh, so that is reflected. But Ed is uh, very much at this point uh, motherhood. He's Canadian like, uh, uh, you know, beer and, and bacon and poutine. You've told me before, Doug, that your main goal is to hire personalities with passion because that will come across with listeners. How has that translated to the bottom line in a tough time for broadcasting? If we weren't doing positives, I there's no way ownership would have let me expand. Um, you know, we've brought in a lot of personalities in a time where, you know, some companies are shutting radio stations down and closing them up saying they can't do it. Maybe they're just doing it wrong. You know, that's the way I look at it. Um, and we're, we're trying to do this right. And it's got some, some good positive effect. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it without, you know, you know how radio works. If you're not, if you're not doing the right things, then you're not going to be able to expand. And, you know, we made it through the pandemic. We rebounded quite nicely through that and are in a growing phase where most of the other organizations around us are, are in, uh, you know, uh, headcount reduction. We're like, now, what else can we do to make this better and bigger and, and more accessible? And what else do we need to do? You know, a lot of the things you've implemented, Doug, are things that largely, I think, the industry voluntarily gave up, you know, in trying to maintain revenue targets that really differentiated it from streaming. And you've gone in the opposite direction of all of those other people. Do you want to talk more about ownership having your back on this? It's really simple. I, we, we're really, we're a really tight group. I know like, you know, the ownership group are all very active in our day-to-day -day operations. We're all broadcasters first and foremost. I, I think then that's the big thing is that we're all radio guys and girls. We're not from the accounting world where we're trying to maximize revenues. We're, you know, I don't have to uh, hit a 30, um, 30 percent margins on EBITDA or I have to you know, reduce people because you're just not hitting the returns that the shareholders are after. The shareholders here want to grow a steady, good business. You could say it's kind of like really it's old school in the sense that we're radio people running a radio company and we're really focused on building good radio. You build good radio and everything else will follow, right? I mean, that's kind of the philosophy. So in, instead of worrying about shaving heads to, to, you know, the difference between 20 and 30% might be two people keeping their jobs and you're putting two productive people and taxpayers into the local economy and, and all of those things that go with it. 
You know, that that's the, the key thing right there. And then they've also, those people whom you have kept through the tough times are then also understanding the philosophy of what it is you're doing. And they're going to have your back as much as you're going to have theirs, right? Do you think the future of the medium is independent ownership? I don't know about that. I just don't. Okay, so I had a very short foray in corporate in, in corporate radio. And, and probably because I think differently, they probably wanted to be gone pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's going to be independent ownership or uh, the big conglomerates will just start thinking about hiring radio people to run the radio divisions again and hmm. not be so concerned about getting 30% margins and maybe be happy with 12 or 15 but then understand that they've got a great product that's community oriented. I mean, that's the key thing. How many shows and how many of these companies now have got, you know, one person doing eight or 10 markets? Uh, you can't focus on the market that you're in, especially if you're like in, you know, Vancouver, voice tracking, Calgary and Edmonton and Winnipeg. Uh, how often do you make it to those markets to actually be in the marketplace to live? That's where everything becomes like disenfranchised and you're disenfranchised from your audience because you don't know what you're talking about in the same local sense. And then the audience are totally disenfranchised with you. And, you know, I just think that there's more to this. It's a really I think it's a really couple simple steps just to put some some passion and people into the business. And, and that's what attracts people. You know, if, if you, um, you read some of the stuff on that, that comes out of like Fred Jacobs tech survey, where they're losing the identity with their favorite hosts uh, and say they being the listeners, it's because their favorite hosts are quickly unemployed. You know, anybody who's been around for a long period of time who makes over a certain amount of money has got to go because they're a liability in the eyes of accountants. Um, and that's great that you can get somebody from, you know, one market doing six morning shows in the country, but they're only really good in the market that they're in because that's the market they live in. You if know? I could uh, add uh, just to what Doug is saying, I really believe that the people running these uh, corporations, these media corporations, need to think about the valuation that they're placing on assets because I don't think that they're properly valuing the diversity of talent and the importance of uh, responsible creative risk. MBAs are taught to minimize risk. However, in a creative industry, if you continue to minimize risk, you have no discernible product. You've got nothing that makes it, there's no hook for the audience. There's nothing that makes them connect to it. There's nothing, it's not sticky. They don't feel emotionally invested in it. So they'll listen to you. They'll listen to somebody else. There's no favorite radio station because there's no personalities that you really feel are there for you. Doug's heard me say this, that if, you know, if you're an egg farmer and you want to cut down on chicken feed, the cost of chicken feed, and you get rid of half your chickens, well, you now have to pay half of chicken feed, but you got a lot, a lot fewer eggs to sell. So you're not actually building anything. You're trying to to grow through shrinking. And at this point, it feels like a lot of these companies are trying to survive, not prosper. And you can't have those two mindsets don't live together in somebody's head. We really do need people like the Doug Elliott's of the world, the, the, the you know Durham radio of the world who say, yeah, you know what? 
this is a risk, but there are calculations as to why this is a reasonable risk or responsible risk in an industry that lives and dies based on uh, a set of, you know, a lack of certainty to some degree, whereas a lot of accountants really, really are uncomfortable with any degree of uh, uncertainty. I think that's really well said. Is there a thought either of you would like to close on? You can't fire yourself to profitability as an organization. Program good content that people, you know, talk to your audience, have fun with them. Get good people that are good, you know, that... I'll go back to my one thought too with the the old all night show used to be the place where we would groom people in the business. You know, that's where you would go to make all your mistakes before you got put into prime time. And then, you know, there, there is none of that to groom anybody. You know, we're lucky enough to be able to bring somebody on who didn't need any grooming uh, to do the all night show because we're going to put a premium. We're going to place a premium on it and, and that's worth something. Um, it's also a great opportunity for talent development in smaller markets where you can you can get people in and, and they can learn their craft. And yeah, I guess voice tracking is a reality of the business and has become a reality of the business. But it doesn't have to be uh, only live in the drive shows. You're missing a whole opportunity of connection. And you don't have the people in the building. You can't get them out in the community. They can't go out and and do fun stuff. Like our morning show goes out once a month and they broadcast from somebody's house. We show up with a bunch of clients and leave behind a whole bunch of stuff. It's an event. We go and we we call it Rock Your Block and we go and we rock the block. Every Thursday, I'm out in the afternoon show at a different pub, sitting on a patio doing my afternoon show with everybody, just inviting them down to come by and you know, pop by and have a pint on the way home and, and let's let's get to meet you. Nobody's doing that anymore. Nobody wants to leave the radio station or there is nobody inside the radio station to leave, to go out into the community. Yeah, you know, recently, for those who are in Southern Ontario, a uh, TV personality from Buffalo, Tom Joles, passed away. And he's from the era when the weatherman would also be Commander Tom, who <laughs> would play st- play cartoons and stuff for kids after school. And there was a sense of community. You knew those personalities. You felt connected. It, people, if they want just music, yeah, they're going to go to the online places where they can curate their own music. So what radio needs to, to give them is what they're looking for, for that differentiates it, which is uh, a sense of personality and a sense of connecting with the audience. Don't ever pretend to be above your audience. Be part of your audience. Be reflective of your audience. And truly respect your audience. My dad uh, was basically a blue-collar guy uh, his whole career. He owned a sports store, but he was on his feet 24 hours a day. He's basically a blue-collar guy. I'm not impressed by flash and cash. Uh, I'm impressed by people who do the work not hoping to make millions eventually, not hoping to become famous, but they do it because uh, they do it for their family, they do it for themselves, they do it for their community. These people are more or less my heroes. And when I talk to these people at night, um, you know, one woman called up and she was a new caller. I said, so what do you do? And she paused and she said, I clean houses. And she started to laugh. I said, there's nothing to laugh at there. We need that service. That's a very, that's an honorable profession. And her demeanor changed. I, I respect these people who work overnight, who do essential jobs. During COVID, all of a, you know, they were the greatest heroes. 
and then they're forgotten about. But I, I, I love this audience. They come from all walks of life and interests and economic groups, but they really, and now they start interacting with each other. One caller will reference another caller who will reference another caller. There's a human connection there, even though Ed's a puppet, there's a human connection. And if radio uh, is going to survive, it's by emphasizing what it offers that streaming cannot, or like, or that you know Spotify cannot, which is a human connection to your music, and that's you know that's what much music didn't understand when they started making their stupid changes after I left, is that uh, they said people aren't turning, people are watching music videos online. We can't compete. They didn't understand that people didn't watch much music just for the music. They watched for how the personalities interacted, uh, how the personalities connected with them, how they related to them, what was done with the music, how the music, uh, how we related to the music, how we contextualized the music. That's the magic that is is there in radio still, and that's why I'm loving uh, being in radio. Yeah, I mean, for yeah, for me, why I got into the business when I was like literally, I was a teen, and it's all I ever wanted to do. And I'd listen to guys like Lee Eckley, who I work with now, Rick Ringer, uh, Bob Makowitz, you know, all of these different different personalities that were really strong at what they did. And, you know, uh, they that whole kind of level of broadcasting is what got me into it. It's all about the people. The music is secondary. It's the connection and, and it's the people. And leaving a legacy as a broadcaster, as a great broadcaster, I think is much more important than having a massive stock portfolio. Unless, of course, you want to retire one day, which I'll never be able to do. So, well, I always say that uh, I've made enough money in my 35 plus years in Canadian media uh, that I could retire tomorrow as long as I die by Friday. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's, let's leave it there. Thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks, Connie. Hey, I tell you, there's a lot of weird things that happen in these hotels. <laughs> so the maid comes out of one of the rooms. Yeah. She's in her fifties. She's from Morocco. All right. Uh, she has in her hand a, a rope, a vibrator and a butt plug. Okay. She doesn't know what it is. I start laughing. So I called one of the regular maids, the, the Canadian woman. I said, explain to her what this is, because I really can't, because I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Wait a second. This is a grown woman who doesn't know what a vibrator is? She, she's in her 50s. She's here within the last two months from Morocco. She's never seen one of those. Well, I think somebody just opened up a whole new world for her. <laughs> There was a a guy called Abdul. He's the one that had the room rented. So did he leave the stuff there? He left it brand new. The boxes were still inside the room. So do you have to keep that stuff for like 30 days in the lost and found in case he comes back for it? (laughs) Yes. Luckily, it's inside a a shopping bag or else it would smell. Yes. We got to keep it for 30 days. Yeah, I didn't need need the smell dimension. I didn't need... I (laughs) I told you it was used. <laughs> because they're worth over three hundred dollars, all those pieces. I think that a manager she puts it on a lot of pound used. <laughs> hey, hang on a second, Val. How do you know how much all those things are worth just by looking at them? Because my my wife bought some. Uh, so has my girlfriend. Uh, you have a wife and a girlfriend. Why not? You <laughs> you live a dangerous life, my friend. Uh, how many people partying there tonight? 
uh, there's uh, two, four of us. And you know what? We purposely sleep all day to wake up at midnight to party with you, dude. And oh. like, we're introducing everybody around. You got to listen to Ed. You got to listen to Ed, man. 94.9, The Rock, All Night Show, Ed the Sock here. Who dis? Hey, this is Charlie from Bonesville, man. You're really cool. I love you, man. Thanks very much, Charlie. What? for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Alison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.